On this bonus episode of the Higher Ed Shift, I sit down with leaders at Valencia College and Jacksonville State University to learn how they have put HERF grants to use to address the growing needs of students. We will discuss how and when HERF grants can be used to manage the move to remote instruction and educational requirements about the financial aid appeals process. Daniel and Charlotte will share tips and tricks on how they navigated institutional bureaucracy to get their projects approved. Ultimately, the ability to purchase technology and systems that automate, simplify, and personalize the student experience result in better enrollment yield and student retention. everybody for joining us today. As you know, we're here to talk about how to leverage her funds for improvements in technology. And um, I am Amy Glenn. I'm the VP of Student Financial Success at Campus Logic. So as a former director of financial aid, I have the opportunity to serve as a subject matter expert at Campus Logic into our product um, development process, as well as our thought leadership around student financial success. I am going to turn things over to Daniel to do a quick introduction about himself and the institution he works at. Thanks, Amy. Hi, my name is Daniel Barkowitz and I'm Assistant Vice President of Financial Aid and Veterans Affairs at Valencia College. We are a community college, uh, state college in Florida. Uh, We offer bachelor's as well as primarily associate's degrees. Uh, Eight campuses, about 65,000 students across those eight campuses. Uh, and I just celebrated my fourth year at the um, fourth anniversary at the institution. Uh, feels like it's been a, a, a whirlwind, um, especially with the last 18 months. Uh, and we, the other, the, the more exciting news is we are a recent um, uh, customer of uh, Campus Logic. We are uh, in the stages of being implementation for student forms and scholarship universe. So thrilled to be with you all and looking forward to the conversation. And I guess I will pass it off to Charlotte. Good morning, I'm Charlotte Cole. I'm the Associate Director of Financial Aid Compliance at Jacksonville State University. Uh, We have roughly 9,000 students and we're located in Alabama. Um, I have used Campus Logic products at two institutions now and uh, we just signed on for more. Perfect, thank you so much for both joining us. We look forward to hearing your insights into how schools can use these $77 billion of her funds to, to help make the experience better for, for their students. Daniel, I think I ask like every year of your anniversary, do you get an extra word in your title? Because if you do, we're gonna end up, we're gonna end up in trouble here pretty soon. It's not gonna fit on the screen. Amy, I've had, I've had longer titles before, so we, we, we won't go there. But. Oh my goodness. Well, the font barely fit. <laughs> today. Um, we're going to talk just really briefly about some of the challenges your students are facing with the move to, to remote and the impact of COVID. We're going to talk about some of the challenges that staff um, face. And I promise we will be less than five minutes there because what you really care about is the panel discussion of how to use those $77 billion. And then we're going to open up to Q&A for the audience to make sure we can answer any questions you have. So we all know this, right, that that recently so many families have undergone financial hardships over the last 18 months, and research has shown that it's close to 50% of families report that they have experienced some form of financial disruption since the onset of COVID. And as an organization and as groups that help students finance their education, this is even more disruptive to what we try and do um, and the students that we try and serve on a daily basis. And so we also know that PPY and financial changes means that our appeals volume is not only really high now in 21-22, but it's going to remain high in 22-23 when the base year for for the FAFSA um, is still the 2020 financial year. Um, And those families have still faced substantial financial challenges and disruption. So the impact on the student We know that students are going to have a lot more questions and uncertainty about how they're going to actually finance their education. Um, One of the major points of stress in individuals' life is financial challenges. So they're going to have increased stress level, which means more financial friction as they shop for and try and stay in college. 
And that means that they, they need more personalized support. So they need more one-on-one support from you and your teams to help overcome the challenges that they're facing so that we can ensure that not only are they able to enroll in college, but they're able to be retained at the university and achieve the ultimate outcome, which is receiving their degree from your institution. When you think about the staff impacts of COVID and the financial upheaval that we've had, the addition of additional appeals to your office, this means more paperwork, more questions, more support services in the forms of emails, phone calls, um, maybe if you're lucky, student, I mean, lucky, I'm not sure lucky is the right word, but students actually in line and back on campus. Uh, students who are facing financial difficulties are gonna have more opportunity, unfortunately, to face an unexpected financial emergency because those that did have savings will have already gone through them probably in the last 18 months. And it means that, that they're gonna turn to you more often for help not only in direct cost of their education, but these unexpected bumps that come up. Uh, it also means, all of this just means more stress for your team. Um, and so needing to, to be able to help them balance, it means more work. And so trying to find ways to automate and support the staff so that they can meet the needs of students and not face burnout in the coming year is gonna be really important as we, as we try and continue this transition to remote and online uh, support for our students. So this is, this is really a lot of what I said already, right? Better serving students and staff means cutting through the complexity of our process. How do we automate and streamline processes, including communications and interactions with students? Uh, how do we invest in the financial aid process in, in a smarter way? Can we utilize virtual assistance? Can we, can we better automate responses to basic questions to students, leaving staff better able to support escalated, highly personalized conversations? Can we streamline the appeals and the professional judgment, even the, the verification process, not knowing what's going to happen in the 22-23 year? We need to be set up for a way to streamline those processes um, in order to cut through the complexity for our students and be able to ensure that they have access to the greatest number of dollars to offset the cost of education and the financial challenges that they're currently facing. And so how do we do that? Well, the federal government has allocated $77 billion in her grants to institutions. We know that about half of this is supposed to be allocated to student emergency grants, but that means that the other half, not so good at math, $37, $38 million goes to the institutions to help offset the cost of, of COVID, the cost to remote instruction, um, and, and be able to address some of the, the challenges that your institutions are facing as you support students from a virtual means. And so we wanted to get together today to talk about, well, there's, there's all of these billions of dollars out there for colleges to use, but the question becomes, how can they actually use them? Um, how can we use them to support the financial aid process, the student support processes, um, and what are we seeing some of, of your college partners doing? And that's where Daniel and Charlotte come in. So I am going to stop sharing my screen. And that should give us all of the participants again and the ability to dig into our questions. So, you know, one of the things that I've really loved about her grants so far is the vast amount of flexibility in usage grants for schools. It's kind of been, it's kind of been a blessing, but as, as we've talked to colleges, it's also been a bit of a curse because the, the broadness of her utilization has actually caused some, not concern, but some confusion right? Because the, the categories we can use it for are so broad. Um, institutions sometimes are at a bit of a, of a pause because they're not sure exactly how to use it. So I'd love to have each of you tell me a little bit about what resources and technologies you were able to use HERF institutional share to purchase and the justification that you used. Charlotte, do you want to start us off with that? 
Yeah, sure. So um, we already have student forms. So we were able to, um, and we were currently paying for that, like from our own operating budget. So that was a huge thing. Um, but we are also going to be implementing virtual advisor um, in September, just right after our payment deadline. Um, so obviously it was great that we had student forms already because when everything went remote, there wasn't really any change in our processes, mm-hmm. but we did need some way to virtually assist all of our students, not just with form submission. So that was the big thing for our campus. So were you then, did, were you then able to use it for, for renewal on forms? Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? Yeah, we are. Okay. Um, and then the implementation of the virtual assistant or the chatbot to be able to help provide the, the remote remote assistance to those student questions. Yes. Okay. Um, Daniel, what about you? What what um, what technology were you able to use the funds for? And and kind of how did you how did you line up that justification with your leadership team? So I guess I'll start by saying uh, your seventy-seven billion dollar. I just figure I just did a quick calculation. Valencia received a quarter or one percent of that total, uh, which sounds like a very small amount, but actually, when you play out the numbers in total, that's about two hundred million dollars through the three different HERF cycles: HERF one, HERF two, HERF three. Um, and with that kind of a cycle, we've been very deliberate about setting up a review process a committee, project references, and a compliance group that's gone through all of this. So there are a number of projects that have come through, um, some from my office, some college-wide that have impact. So for example, we fairly quickly in HERF 1 made the determination we needed a student laptop loaner program. So Mm -hmm. the college bought a number of laptops, which we loaned out to students uh, who needed support and didn't have a, a device, a functioning device of their own. Um, we found that a number of students were driving onto campus um, and parking in our parking lot just to have access to our Wi-Fi. So one of the things we spent money on with the HERF program was actually enhancing our Wi-Fi service outside of our buildings so that students who were on campus and in their cars could actually access the Wi-Fi more seamlessly. Um, so you know, that's some examples of some of the projects that we've been looking at. Um, specifically for my office, um, I was pleased that one of the projects that was approved uh, was the licensing um, for five years for the um, the two uh, products that I mentioned before with Campus Logic, so student forms um, and scholarship universe. So we'll have uh, five years of licensing paid through the HERF process, which will allow us to uh, to begin to move from what was very heavily a paper-based system pre-pandemic, believe it or not. Um, to uh, to a much more robust online solution. Perfect. And, and as you guys as you guys went through the approval process for those, um, Charlotte, we'll start with you. Like, what what justification did you have to provide to leadership for the eligibility of the purchases you made under under the HERP grants? Um, we actually, so the as far as the eligibility, we didn't really we weren't met with much pushback. Um, It was kind of more, okay, within the institution, how do you justify that yours is the most important? Mm, Well, that's a good question. That's typically what we saw. And so, um, and for that, I think showing that yours is the most important, the only way to do that is collaborating and showing that, well, actually, we're all the most important. So what works best Um, And so for us specifically, we had one big office on campus looking at getting a chat bot and we wanted virtual advisor. And so we were able to, since we had a seat at that table and we were engaged in those conversations, we kind of said, hey, let's team up, save the institution money and approach it from that point. And then also it's just easier for students to be used to one product um, and then also it's going to make it easier on us because, yes, we'll handle the financial aid side. But as far as the general questions, another office will handle that. I love that. I love that idea of figuring out how to get someone out so you can tag team the request because they're they're less likely to say no to two or three of you than they are to just one, right? Yeah, definitely. I love that idea. Um, Daniel, what about you? I know that you went through a pretty robust justification process, and um, I don't want to—I don't know if it's necessarily a proposal, but 
you know, you were, you were presenting both to your leadership and your board and to internal teams. So how did you approach building the justification for, for use of these dollars? So again, we were in, in a situation where, you know, pre-pandemic, while we had PDF forms and some forms automated online, we had no way to submit documents in a secure method. So our, you know, our, our secure document upload solution was mail uh, or walking it in the office. And so, you know, the, the pandemic presented a perfect opportunity um, to say, listen, that, that solution is not tenable. Um, we need to find a better answer. Um, and so you're right, we did, we, we worked up a full proposal which we had to submit to our institutional review group. Um, I happen to also sit on the institutional review group, which helps. So I was able to present my own proposal to the group. Um, I had to abstain from the vote, but at least I got to present it. Um, And then from there, it went to a a separate compliance group. So we have an institutional policy group. We have a compliance group. um, And it had to go through compliance as well and be approved all before it went to the board. So because we we exceeded a, a certain dollar threshold, in the amount of the contract, it then had to go to the board for their review and approval, um, which is the the full process. I will say, you know, part of the justification was clearly that we had no secure way to submit documents. The other piece that I keep on harping on or mentioning is that our our current solution, sort of our Band-Aid solution in the meantime, relied upon heavy staff involvement for indexing. Because once we scanned an image, we still had to figure out who was that student and how did it relate to the particular record. So, you know, the other piece that I I had highly uh, listed was the the benefit of that indexing connection uh, and the fact that it wasn't necessary on the back end. On the other side, the scholarship universe piece for us, um, you know, we we talked about the fact that students are in desperate need of money, as you mentioned, Amy, Mm -hmm. and specifically... We're seeing, so we have both our standard traditional clock hour and credit hour programs. We also have what we call our accelerated skills training or our continuing ed programs. And we're seeing a number of scholarship providers coming up to the the table on the continuing ed side. Um, We announced in the last year a really interesting Metallica, the band Metallica welding scholarship, for example. Metallica is paying, um, you know, to work with heavy metal, I guess you might say. (laughs) So, you know, we didn't have a really good solution for how we were going to match students in those AST programs with scholarships in our, in our current um, application. So that was part of the justification for how we were able to, to talk about the compliance issues related to HERF and the scholarship side as well. So it sounds like both of you leaned really heavily around um, the the move to remote instruction because to be able to support the move to remote instruction um, or remote due to COVID, we really need to be able to ensure that students have remote access to the financial aid process, to your point, secure document delivery. um, And, you know, I don't know anybody who wants to ever index another document in their life. I did it for one. I did it for a very short period of time, and I'm pretty sure my staff decided it was more work to have me index documents than not. So, <laughs> I appreciate that completely, and that then frees up that staff's time to truly be able to support those students who need it from a financial perspective. Whether we're talking about education on the appeals process that needs to happen at the institutional level, or just being able to go through those processes and support them with the students. So. Daniel, what advice do you have for a school that's trying to build its case with leadership, use her institutional chair for technology? Like what's the, what's the one nugget, um, the golden kernel you have for them? So I would say, you know, a couple, well, so, so limiting it to one's hard, Amy, um, I think probably the best piece is to show the ROI um, and really to come back and say, this is what, you know, there's investment of capital, Mm-hmm. Um, however, the ROI is so significant um, that the return matters. Um, you know, I will say I, before the pandemic, I was talking, I've been talking about Campus Logic's programs since I got to the institution. Um, and there wasn't, there, there was a real concern about the dollar to be spent. And the, the HERF piece has sort of eliminated that concern near term. Um, uh, but, you know, we had to make sure that there was a budget ongoing for ongoing expenses and maintenance. And that, really is critical, but you know, we can certainly make the case and it's easy to make 
about the return on investment coming through in both in both products. So that would be my my focus is the, the ROI. And frankly, you all have done such a great job with your product demonstration that the product really sells itself. Um, so that's the other piece is you know getting the product in front of our senior leadership was really important. Thank you. I, I appreciate the compliments. Um, you know, Charlotte, Daniel was talking a little bit about proving that ROI. So when you're using these dollars to purchase technology, it's really essential to show that not only is the technology going to improve and make the move to remote um, better, but that you're going to be able to show that improvement and ROI pretty quickly in the process. Otherwise, it's just it, it's not as beneficial, right? Can you talk to me a little bit? I know that you've you've been with us a little bit longer um, and have, have managed some implementations. So can you talk to me a little bit about how long it took you to implement and start seeing those results from, from your technology purchases? Yeah, so um, specifically with student forms. So when we signed within three weeks or just, I think it was like a day shy of three weeks, um, we were fully implemented with both single sign-on and document imaging. Um, and truly the only reason it took three weeks was scheduling conflicts with our own IT department. They were out for an entire week for a conference. Um, so that was, it would have been even faster. Um, and we immediately saw results within the first week. We had 500 students and parents create accounts and that was without changing our messaging. So it wow. was really intuitive for students. Um, and then within the first month, we had a 400% increase in the number of files that we were able to review. I mean, that's no, that's, that's no small number. No, <laughs> no it was, it was wonderful. That's great. And I thank you. Cause I think that that's really important is, you know, to both of your points is to be able to show that your technology is going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference in the student experience. Um, and, that that remote access and it's going to make a difference quickly, right? Mm -hmm. These using these dollars on on technology purchases that people aren't going to see an impact for two and three years down the road kind of defeats the general purpose of of the grants and the flexibilities that we've we've been offered. Um, and so the financial aid industry has always been adaptive and flexible. I think we all like to think that at least. Um, but between COVID and the mid-year changes that the department has kind of hit us with all of a sudden, we need to be even faster. And so how do you see the technology purchase you've made with HERF allowing you to pivot more quickly? And Charlotte, I'm going to throw this one over to you because I know that you've, you've already told me you implemented kind of some of those mid-year verification changes um, and we're only, what, 10 days from the announcement, maybe two weeks? Yeah, so um, with the recent change in the verification requirements, um, we've actually already fully implemented those changes. So everything has been waived if it didn't need to be submitted. Um, conflicting information has been reviewed. Our SIS is fully updated. And now that since today, no new transactions will be created in student forms, um, you know, that wouldn't have happened without student forms. And without having that, it would have taken weeks at least to get that. And with um, school starting in two weeks, it really wouldn't have impacted, but all those students have been packaged now. Um, and it was like a little road bump rather than a life altering event. <laughs> I, can, I can echo that and say it is life altering at our institution because we're not yet live with student forms. So, you know, one of the pieces that I, I, we're the opposite side of that coin, I wish we had implemented a year ago, uh, because we are we are struggling with the uh, the go live. And it's, you know, one of the things I really value is the communication that's come from um, Campus Logic as you've gone through this process, because it reminds me of why we made this choice, because it's all on us um, at, at Valencia rather than being a team effort right now. Um, and, you know, it, it uh, I'm, I'm the other side of that coin, Charlotte. So we'll be there in a couple of weeks, but we're not there yet. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It has, uh, I think it, it threw everybody for a loop when when it definitely came down. Um, and so yeah, there are two ways that that implement, implementation can go. So we have a lot of colleges that, you know, when we kind of get into like the nitty gritty of how do you make the purchase happen, 
Um, we have a lot of colleges that are new to using the federal grant programs like HERF, right? So I can say I've never, I've never administered federal grants like this that have purchasing restrictions. And so there are some requirements about the competitive bid process. Can, can you share a little bit more about what a school maybe needs to know to meet the purchasing requirements if they're not familiar with the competitive bid process? And I don't know who wants to... I, I can start if that's okay. if that's right. So we so for our process, we we took a look at um, other arrangements that were already done, and so we were able to um, take advantage of a open uh, bid that was available through the state of California, actually. Um, and so we were able to bypass the full competitive bid process using that exemption. But as I say, it did it did meet the federal threshold that had to be acted on by the board. Um, we did have to go through the process. I did have to document other companies that we had looked at and considered. Um, and what was unique about your product, again, from others, is that it has features and services that others don't. So it was very easy to sort of make the justification. But using that, um, uh, that you know, open arrangement, uh, we were able to, to go through the process fairly quickly once we were able to, to move that along. So, um, so, you know, I know, I know, um, uh, we worked really in partnership with your team to provide whatever documentation was required. Um, it's it's an interesting process because you do you, know, you have to go through a very uh, robust uh, justification and eligibility process, but your team was very helpful as we went through it. So is the most common form of competitive bid that people might be used to the RFP process? It is, or RFI, right? So either a request for proposal or a request for information. Um, so again, you know, uh, given the the nature of the funds, often that is something that you have to go through um, because of the research that we had done and getting inf information anecdotally. Um, we were able to, with that open arrangement, move pretty quickly through. Uh, but that could be a requirement to have three competitive bids to go through your process. So my advice, again, given time, is to look at what might be available that you could make use of in terms of other arrangements that have already been negotiated that meet those federal requirements and other um, contracting uh, organizations that have gone through that process. Okay, and like you said, you guys you guys were able to do that off from um, an agreement that was in place, I believe in California. I, and I, I believe, in, and Seth, you can um, step in here where I'm wrong, but I believe some of our other institutions are also able to use a process called GFA, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, the General Services Administration runs competitive solicitations. We are on their Schedule 70 for software as a service um, providers. So I think almost all of our products that would qualify, or every product I would say that will qualify for HERF dollars is on the GSA schedule, and that's open to any public institution, uh, regardless of the state you're in. Uh, it's federal schedule, so it meets the federal guidelines. Um, and it's actually a pretty simple process once we, we get engaged with that if the procurement office is familiar with it it's, it's simply an amendment to that existing agreement uh, as opposed to having to run through a full terms and conditions review so that's happy to discuss that more if anybody has questions offline but that's been a pretty easy um, route to use some of the her funding perfect thank you i know just enough about it to be able to, to be able to say the three letters like that's where my that's where my knowledge threshold ends. So we'll let you um, bounce back in with Ed to answer any questions that anybody has about that in uh, in our Q and A portion. <laughs> Charlotte, was there anything else kind of about the competitive bid process since we were since since you had already made the primary purchase for student forms that that may not be relevant, but um, I'm not sure what kind of that that bid process looked like at your institution. Yeah, since we had already done it, it was pretty, pretty smooth. And we were already looking, we had already really wanted virtual advisor. Um, it just unfortunately took a pandemic to make it happen. But it it is happening. So that's good. You know, I guess when when we look at things, and, and we look, you know, when we want to look at that glass kind of half full versus half empty, um, if it took if it took a pandemic to to get people to adopt true technology solutions that support students and ease the friction kind of in the shopping and funding of college, I'll take it as a win. I mean, I, there's not a lot of positive things I get to look back on, but if we if we get that one, I'll I'll, I'll keep it. 
Um, so, Daniel, we've also heard that some schools are a little resistant or concerned about using HERF institutional grants to prepay or sign a multi-year contract to purchase technology. I know that you were able to do this. Can you tell us how you approached the topic? Was there any specific justification that was needed? Um, because, like I said, we've, we've heard from some schools that they, they're, they're not sure how to justify um, that multi-year purchase with with their compliance or their legal review. I'll say again, and we did have outside counsel as well, who's been um, uh, providing advice on big projects as we've gone through this process. But you know, one of the things that helped was helpful for us was having a multi-year bid. So we started with a multi-year bid from you all uh, for service. So it wasn't an annualized bid; it was a multi-year bid. Um, and that five-year contract is actually what we've signed. Um, went through the proposal process, the compliance process, the legal review process, and the board process. And you know, I, I would say that we are viewing this as um, you know one purchase that has a, a longer-term lifetime. Um, but you know, that's true of lots of things you might buy. So you might buy, as I said, student laptops. I'm not going to at the end of the uh, at the end of the pandemic, when the national emergency is over, or the end of the spending time, I'm not going to give all those laptops away and pretend like we don't have them anymore. Or we're making, you know, ventilation changes in some of our buildings. Um, it's not like at the end of the national emergency we're going to rip out all that new ventilation. So many of the purchases that you buy, hopefully um, through HERF, have lifetimes beyond the end of the HERF grant. So you know, I think that that helps if you sort of think about it in that in that cycle, it's not a, um, I've been using this analogy a lot. It's not like we're living in Brewster's Millions, the movie, if you don't remember it, the Richard Pryor movie, where at the end of the period of 30 days, he has to have zero to show for the 30 million that he's spent to earn the 300 million. Um, so, you know, you can carry things forward and hopefully you will um, from the expenditures that you've made. So that's, I think, you know, the, the primary way of thinking about the justification. I love that. I haven't, I haven't heard anybody kind of provide that example, right? That like the the other items that you're purchasing that maybe are a physical asset, that those are gonna continue to be physical assets to the institution. This is just a little bit different in that it's a cloud asset that you're you're purchasing that's gonna be, be available for students um, more long-term um, to, to advance the, the student experience. Um, and so, so this one was not on my list, but I am going to ask you guys about the, the requirement to do outreach to students about the appeals process. Um, I would just, I know that you're required to actually spend some dollars on, on doing this. And I'm just curious if there's any technology included in, in kind of that process um, or in those dollars being spent at either of your institution? Awkward silence if nobody says um, yes Charlie, or do you no. Want to start or do, you want, do you want me to start the kickoff? Yeah, you can start. So I'll say for us, we are planning, again, uh, because we're in the, in the launch phase, um, we're not quite ready yet to point people to student forums. I wish we were. So we are drafting messages, which we'll deploy after the fall semester begins, uh, but they will be um, done as uh, individual email messages tailored by population. Um, the, the dollar value, it was hard to sort of figure out how are we spending the dollars. So we do a lot of HERF-related communication to students. So we are hiring a part-time HERF student communicator who we will then segment out part of their salary um, to, to be reported as our dollar expenditure. Um, that's sort of how we're thinking about it. Um, there's not so much a technology solution uh, as much as there is in these cases a um, a, a human uh, you know worker solution that we're planning on. So you've got so you've got that component on the front end. That's that's how you're going to spend. But it, the reality also is that you you've got a technology solution on the back end for processing right. in student forms when once once it's kind of up and in place, right? Right. Correct. What about you, Charlotte? Any and ours is yeah, ours is pretty similar. Um, but we already did all of our communication um, for the first round. So we sent out postcards to everyone to kind of quickly get like, okay, we definitely spent money so we could show that. Um, but also because I am currently the only one processing those and we've seen like a 900 something percent increase um, 
in how many appeals we've gotten. So um, we are definitely going to, um, once the fall semester has begun, take all of that data and then look at using that for further justification. Because um, like I said, currently we pay for everything out of our office operating budget, which leaves us with a very small operating budget. So we would like to get as much of that covered. So then you're thinking that kind of you can you can go back afterwards and try and get um it paid for up proactively back into your department budget. Is that what you're hoping for? Um, or even just for a future kind of whatever they'll give us with those two. Um, but also because we know, like you said, with, you know, next year, we're still going to be using 2020 tax data. So we know that even then some students will still need to be doing these appeals. Um, and okay. so once we have all of that data, this way we can show truly that the expense is going there. Wonderful. Um, so one more question that wasn't, you guys are going to, you just love my tough questions. Um, and then we'll, we'll bounce into to chat and Q&A and see, see what's been listed there. But uh, so three tranches of funds that kind of came to us with the initial announcements over broadly a year in time. How, how spent are your her funds? If, if you look at the, the total dollar amount that your institution received, um, are, are you guys pretty far through the spending process or is some of it being held for, for potentially things that could come up over the, the next six months here as, as we try and return to campus and with everything with Delta variant going on? Yeah, so for us, um, I think at the beginning, it was kind of spend immediately to fix immediate issues. And now that we are more at a stable place, we're kind of going to see, okay, what happens with this fall semester and what are our true needs now? Because um, our needs now are definitely different than they were a year ago when this all just happened. Absolutely. That makes sense. What about you, Daniel? So for us, you know, just to sort of parse it out. So HERF One or CARES was about roughly about 27, 28 million. HERF Two was about 60 million. And HERF three is about 110 million. So, um, you know, the the plan sort of along is we're basically done with HERF one funding. Um, we're in the middle of our second round of student funding for HERF two, um, and we're spending institutional dollars out of HERF two on some projects. I know there's a question in the Q and A about write offs. That that's one of the things we're spending some money on, which we can talk about. Um, and then in HERF three. We're going to be spending most of that 110 million on students. Um, you know, there's just there comes a point, just economies of scale and time and practicality. We just we don't have enough time or projects to spend you know another 50 million dollars on projects internally. Um, so you know a lot of that money is just is going to be straight dedicated to students. I think there are some institutions that don't that, that may not be in that same boat. <laughs> You guys got a very generous, um, yeah. and I, I, but our size matters, right? So, yeah. you know, the the reason for that is, as I said, you know, we're about sixty seven thousand students, and you know, a large number of them are on Pell. So, that's you know, that's sort of where that that comes from. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to I'm going to maybe ask Stacy to to pop back on and let us know what questions have come in from the audience because that's really what we're here to do is help other schools um, not answer my curiosities. All right, so just a reminder, please submit any questions through the Q&A functionality. Um, so one we got, which Daniel mentioned he saw, I, I'm not sure if you guys can really provide advice on this or, or maybe just some suggestions for this person. But they said, our institution is looking at clearing out some past due balances. Due to the nature of how administration would like to select and award students, we've determined that we will have to process it in a way that it can be counted as lost revenue. So the specific awards are not bound by the rules for the student share. We are thinking that the charges would need to be wiped out with a waiver of sorts for which the school can then reimburse itself. Do you have any advice? They're asking if this would meet regulations, which I'm not sure we can say, um, or if you just have ideas about that. So, so Stacey, I can start. Um, I would refer refer the, the questioner to the FAQs that came out with HERF3. This is the model that's specifically addressed in the FAQs. 
Um, and I'll share with you that with that guidance, and again, I'm not providing guidance, not my role, but with that guidance, what we did is um, we looked at uh, accounts that we had written off. And our process is after a student fails to pay, we then refer it to collections. And so um, we looked at accounts that were written off um, for students who had attendance starting spring break of 2020. So that was when we closed. Um, moving through uh, uh, both the end of spring, summer, and fall. Uh, and uh, basically, all of those had already been written off, been charged off to the collections agency. Uh, we went through and pulled those back and paid those balances off. So for us, it was about, again, size, um, but it was about three quarters of a million dollars that we did pull back. Um, we were very careful of saying to students, we've done this. Um, and not asking anyone for any enrollment confirmation or future enrollment plans. Um, now that we have written this off, we are then sending them an invitation to consider re-enrolling. Uh, but that again was separate from the message around the write-off. So hopefully that helps. The other thing, just as a piece, because um, I, th I think this is another waiver idea that we had used. So when spring occurred, um, we had students who had to transition from face-to-face -to, -face to in person. And we said to students, we were, or the other way around, face-to-face -to, -face to, sorry, to uh, virtual learning. We said to students, don't withdraw, keep on going, but you can opt for something called an R20. It was a new grade we created, which was essentially a retake option. So students who chose to uh, withdraw from their class using the retake option were guaranteed a free retake of the class the following semester. Um, and that tuition we also covered by virtue of HERF dollars with institutional funds. So not student grant, but it was a waived expense, which we then covered from the grant on the other side. So I think there's some creative ways that you can think about, you know, the waivers that you provide and what you might be able to reimburse. Yeah, and Charlotte, I'm not sure if you guys have done anything similar, but Daniel, to your point, I know that the FAQ on, on the HERF 3 and on the... Um, the revenue loss is pretty detailed here and gives some good guidance. There are also um, some pretty prominent examples of institutions that have done this, that have kind of made it into the national media about forgiving balances. And those might be, those might be good institutions just to, to kind of follow or to reach out if you, if you have a connection with someone in financial aid or someone, you know, you can just I mean a pretty good community. Um, so if, if you can find the contact of, of those institutions, they might be willing to, to help and have a quick conversation. All right, thank you. For the next question um, we have, were there people or roles at your institutions that were resistant to using her funding for financial aid software because they wanted to use those dollars elsewhere? And if so, what do you recommend in terms of overcoming those objections? Yes, definitely. Um, I definitely encountered that. Um, I think, I mean, we've said like use data, see how many people you are, how many files are you processing? How many students are coming in? Emails, phone calls, all of that. I think that's crucial for decision-making, but at the end of the day, you know, in our industry, we do strive to simplify processes because low, low income, first generation, those students, you know, we can't have us being that hurdle. There are already regulatory hurdles. We don't need to be another hurdle. And I have found a surprising amount of success with just asking, why are we not supporting our students? And I mean, obviously that's a very pointed question and you have to say it very kindly, but that's what we're here to do. We're supposed to advocate for our students. Um, and so if we're not using this funding to help students and get students here, um, really are we actually doing what we're supposed to be doing? And if you ask someone, why are we not supporting our students? They're going to support your students because they don't want to not support your students. Yeah, and, and Charlotte, I think that's a really, you know, the, the student support and, and alignment with um, our first gen and our low income students, these are the students who need the most support through the funding journey. And they are also our students who need to have increased access to additional aid dollars, which are achieved through things like our professional judgment process. And 
by being able to alleviate fears and concerns through, you know, things like a, a chatbot that can answer questions accurately and effectively, can escalate those students to, to staff members. Um, and so that, that focus on the student experience. I'll also point back that Charlotte um, mentioned alignment with other, with other proposals on campus in, in their purchase of the chatbot. So that partnership with someone else in addition to the, the focus on the student experience would probably be beneficial. Daniel, additional advice you might have? Yeah, I also think for us, um, we've been talking for years about the verification burden on our students and so, um, and the funding burden. So mm -hmm. both the need for, you know, verification relief um, and the need to find creative ways to find more funding. So being able to draw the line between the problem and the solution is really critical. So, you know, I our entire organization is familiar with the verification burden, verification melt. Um, you know, I have the statistics to show the percentage selected, what the actual change is, and we're conversant in that in that topic. So I think that helped um, make the argument more, more cogent because now we have a solution we can propose to the problem we've described. Great, thanks. All right, this next one is, can you walk us through your processes for distributing the HERF two, three dollars to students? How did you inform them about their opportunity to receive money? Did you use an application process? Did you put a cap on the amount that students could request? Could they apply more than once? Just looking for some ideas on how we can improve our current process. Um, I, I can start, Charlotte, unless you want to. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so we decided early on that we were going to pre-qualify students. So um, what we do is we wait until after the last um, ad drop period for the, the parts of term or modules have finished. We run a um, list of who would be qualified to receive the funding. And we send them an email announcing the opening of our application cycle. We have a two-week application cycle we've run each term, and we do use an application. Um, when students log into their portal at Valencia, it's the top left corner of the portal screen. So you see it, it's live, it's there, but you only see it if you're eligible. You don't see it if you're not eligible. So we very, very early on decided that was how we were going to manage this. Um, and we do have a flat dollar amount. Um, I, I early on decided I don't want to be looking at receipts. I don't want to be looking at individual and making individual decisions about dollar amounts based on reason for expense. So we set a flat dollar amount per term um, and we encourage students to apply. Um, we've had, we send reminder notices to both their Valencia email and their personal email. Um, just to share, our experience has been about a 65 to 70% completion ratio for students we invite to apply. So I know many institutions have had ratios in the 30 and 40% range. So we're really happy um, with uh, turnaround and we, you know, we were happy with our process. So um, students can apply each semester as long as they're eligible each semester. And again, we notify them of their eligibility. We send warning messages beforehand to say, hey, for example, up to this point, hey, we don't have your FAFSA. We need your FAFSA. If you want to be eligible, we think you can do a FAFSA. Um, that will change come the fall with the new guidance. But, uh, but that's really been our process. And um, if the uh, if the applicant or the the person who asked the question wants to contact me directly, I'm happy to provide more information um, as needed. Uh, and you know the award amount was basically based on what funding we had available. So we took what we thought we had available. We took the number we thought we we would apply uh, or would would award per student and figured it out on average. So that's how we got there. Yeah, we did the exact same thing. Um, we did not have an application. Um, we rather than like when we pre identified, we just went ahead and awarded it. Um, and we just had our president's cabinet decide on these amounts with a proposal on what worked best. Um, and then we did save a little bit with an application. And then when we did that, we found that we were creating more potential compliance risks with people saying, oh, well, I need the money for this, this, this. And it's like, well, now we can't give out any of this money because no one is saying the thing that they need to be saying in order to get the funding. So um, after, after that, we 
got rid of the application. Cut through that complexity, Charlotte. Simplify <laughs> it down. <laughs> the simpler it is most of the time, to your point, the, the less risk we actually introduce for ourselves. Those audits are going to be fun too when uh, when auditors start coming through and auditing those individual herb grants. Hey, we have one more question and then we can wrap things up, um, which is, does using GSA pricing actually help me save time in using HERF dollars if we've never done GSA before? That sounds like taking on more work than my office may not have time to do. I can take that one from the, the sales perspective, having worked through a few of these. Um, and the answer is it really depends. Uh, most financial aid offices have probably not purchased something through GSA or may not be familiar with it, but your procurement office, if you're a public institution, has more than likely used the GSA schedule to purchase something. You can purchase almost anything off of the GSA schedule from desks, computer equipment, you know, hardware, there's construction contracts on there. We're on the software as a service then. So it depends on if the, the procurement office is familiar with that as a contract vehicle. Um, I would say for, for Charlotte's case, it probably would not have made sense to purchase off GSA because they're an existing client that had already made some form of competitive justification for the core products they had. And then adding another product is pretty easy to check the box off to do a competitive analysis and slot that into your existing contract. So I'd say if you're an existing customer, just doing an amendment to your current contract and, and satisfying the competitive analysis would probably be the best bet. Um, if you're a prospective client, GSA might be the best route. For Valencia, it actually wasn't the best route because they were looking to prepay multiple years of funds. So we found um, it's actually the foundation for community colleges of California. We have a multi-year uh, RFP schedule with them that, that listed all the products they wanted to include. So it allowed them to, to prepay up front. So it, it very much depends on, on your situation. Um, oftentimes, if the procurement office is familiar with purchasing off the GSA schedule, it's a fairly easy process that can help cut back on a lot of back and forth with, with contractual red lines. And Seth, to your point, the the GSA pricing or process is for public institutions, correct? It is. Yeah. You have to be a public institution to be able to use it. So if you're so a private institution, it would not be an option for you. Yeah. All right. Those were all of our questions. So Amy, I'll hand it back over to you to wrap things up. Thank you for joining us today to learn more about how HERF grants can be used to improve the student experience in financial aid through the purchase of technology. If you enjoy this episode or learned something new, please share it with your network, follow the show, and consider leaving a review. Today's episode is sponsored by Campus Logic. Campus Logic develops software as a service or SaaS products that help to reduce friction in the college funding journey from the time students are shopping for school to when they begin repaying. Campus Logic works with over 800 colleges that represent approximately 6 million students actively enrolled. Their products focus on simplifying the complex funding process for students and staff while creating highly personalized interactions to help students gain access to every dollar available to pay for school. The product lineup includes a micro scholarship platform, financial aid forms and verification solution, scholarship management and matching, digital communication tools, and virtual advising solutions. If you have questions about how Campus Logic and or its solutions can help you improve the student experience to increase enrollment, retention, and completion, please visit their website and see the show notes for additional information.